cue the intro. third episode here really really excited for this one partly because i personally know the guest uh, who's going to be joining us today kevin love is a close personal friend of mine a college roommate accomplished collegiate runner and junior national cyclist as well and since we're covering two of the three ironman sports i think it would be really important to have him on and for him to give advice to all the people listening that he gave to me when I first started and some of the things that he told me were not overly complicated or uh, hard to understand or, or what I felt like were hidden secrets. They were really kind of simple things that I was able to take in the training essentially the next day, but they made huge differences in how I felt, how I was able to increase mileage, how I was able to avoid injury. And I think it would be really valuable for everyone listening to this to hear a little bit of that advice from him firsthand, just because it was so valuable uh, to me and a lot of the other people that we've worked with here over the last year or so as well. So I'm really excited to have Kevin on here. He's a funny guy. He knows an enormous amount about both of these topics, running and cycling. He's super fast, like super fast, but I'll let him tell you about that. But to get straight to the point, here's Kevin, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you for joining. Happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. Love Absolutely. It. Absolutely. So I figured that this would be appropriate for uh, the audience that we've got so far, mainly because as a complete rookie to all of this, I badgered you with 3,000 questions, which you uh, thankfully answered somewhat honestly, probably. And Of course. Yeah. You know, it's the old, if one person has the question, 12 other people probably have it too. So I think that a lot of what you shared with me would be useful to the people that I've been hanging out on the site and in our Facebook group and listening to this podcast so far. So hopefully we can reiterate some of it to those folks and they find some value in it also. Yeah, I was happy to help. I love it. This is, this is the best part. This is so much fun. Getting people together is the best. Perfect. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions to help validate that you have ever run or cycled before. <laughs> uh, okay. We'll, we'll, start with, uh, we'll start with running. So how about okay. we just go with a little bit of pedigree, uh, fastest mile time? Oh God, uh, four, it was probably like 422, I think is my fastest mile. Perfect. It's weird, it's weird, it's weird because in college you actually don't run the mile that much. Yeah, so. 1600 is what, 28 feet short or something? It, uh, 1500, yeah, so it's, yeah, 100 meters short, you know, so yeah, it's 300, what is it, I don't know. So it's yeah, it's a few feet short. Yeah. Um, okay, so four twenty eight. We'll stick with that. What about four twenty two? Get it right. Four twenty two. Sorry, I'll write it down. Five <laughs> uh, k. Um, technically, my PR in a five k is actually a seventeen, um, which isn't. It doesn't sound all that fast. Um, but in college, you run an eight k, and um, in college, I would normally hit my 5K mark around 15:30, um, and then you would finish in like a like a 26. I, I did a few. I think my top 8K time was like 26:20 or something like that. Um, and 8K is four point. It's literally like 4.98 miles or something. Yep. Um, so it's about five miles. Um, so it was like low 26s, which comes out to like uh, mid 15 5K uh, PR. 
Perfect. And then my uh, favorite question and follow-up question, you have run a half marathon. Yes. At this point, right? You have not yes. yet run a full, but we're working on that. Correct. Working on the marathon. Correct. Working yes. on the marathon. I have November 19th, right? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. The Sunday before Thanksgiving. I will yep. be thoroughly exhausted and probably still hungry come Thanksgiving. Well, I mean, that's the perfect chance to like recuperate and eat all the food. I mean, what other holidays? Exactly. And just do exactly. It's perfect. Guilty free holidays. Yeah. So there, that's... let's see. So obviously fast and short distance. Uh, Correct. I at least personally follow you on Strava. I'm sure others might. Uh, as well, but you sometimes routinely will complain about bad days and feeling like crap, but you ran 10 miles at a 6.05 pace. So we're just kind of <laughs> throwing something out there as to this is going to be relevant to those trying to run a half or a full after a little bit of swimming and a little bit of biking. I think there's still some some value to be had here. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, from a running perspective, listen, it, you know, how you feel is relative. You know, it doesn't, speed is relative. How you feel is relative. So, um, it's definitely different. You know, it's it's weird for me. Like, you know, I I think I've told you this, but in college, like I ran a 10 miles in like 55 minutes and like, you know, finished without even breathing all that heavy. And then like, now I can't even break, you know, an hour in broad street. So it's, it's very, very different. It's a different world. So. Yeah. I mean, it absolutely is. And it's, so there's so many pieces of it like for anyone who's been fortunate or unfortunate depending on your view to read something like born to run which is essentially a a 300 page novel that tells you to run barefoot in the streets and that'll just be like the safest thing for your body it (laughs) really starts to overcomplicate things and put you in a perspective of okay well i'm a human being humans being been running they've been running for thousands of years like this should be pretty simple but if i'm you know, if I'm pushing up my nerd glasses at one point or another, I did the math, which is that for an average adult male who weighs like 170 or 180 pounds, I forget what, what number I used, every step while running is something like three and a half times your body weight of pressure on the ground. Correct. So for that 175-pound person, that's like that's 500 and I don't know, 50 pounds or something like that. Every time you take a step and the somewhat terrifying part of all of that is that you take roughly 14 to 1600 steps per mile, just generally on average. So you're, so part of this is like, okay, I can run a mile. I'm now the strongest person alive because if you put that on a barbell and told me to back squat it, there would be zero chance. But I think one thing that's, that is a, very accepted misconception is that we can all just strap on some shoes and go run a 5k and and how could we possibly ever get hurt our bodies are just meant to do this so before we get into maybe the more complicated stuff like pacing and heart rates and hydration and all that as someone who's run for a very long time and met people who have either run uh, as long as you longer than you or people who are just getting started what are some things that you've done over your 30 years of running to basically not get hurt all the time? Um, Wow. That's such a good question. Um, First and foremost, I've probably injured everything uh, from my hips down. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, college track is not friendly 
Um, you know, I had tendonitis in both my knees at one point for conferences and I've had stress fractures and plantar fasciitis and shin splints. Like I, I'm not just one of those guys that just like woke up and was like, Oh my God, I can go run a sub five minute mile just without doing anything. Like, no, it took, it took a long time to get there. Um, the biggest, so just from an entry level, so to speak, like a, like a intro, like if I'm getting off my couch and running a 5k, the biggest thing I see, and I constantly tell this to people, is they don't warm up enough, they don't stretch enough, and they don't cool down enough. Like, it, it, something we learned a lot in college and high school was, like, we warmed up a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking, like, 20, 30 minutes, if not more, sometimes 40, sometimes 40 minutes between running, stretching, different plyometric drills, and then you do your workout. Now, I'm not saying everyone does that, but just basics, like just jogging a little bit and then getting into your workout and then cooling down and then stretching, like taking your time and being patient with things is, is definitely key. Um, having a plan, having a training plan that you're not overextending yourself too much, that you build into longer runs or faster runs, um, and the biggest mistake, and another big mistake I also see is, um, just running too far, too hard, too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is you feel fresh and you're like, Oh my God, I feel fresh. I'm going to go out and run 10 miles as fast as I can, which I think you did. Um, yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, and then, and then all of a sudden they get hurt or there's a twinge in their leg or something wrong. And, um, and they don't take the time to, you know what, I'm just going to take it easy today. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm just going to take it easy because, you know, we always college and stuff like that. We always had a long-term approach to things. And it's like, all right, if I'm, if I'm not feeling great, you know, three months before conferences, like I'm going to take it easy. Like I'm going to, I'm going to back off a little bit of this workout. I'm going to go to the trainer, get it right, go on the bike for an hour. And then the next day I'll hopefully feel a lot better mm-hmm. and go from there. So I think the biggest thing is just listening to your body and just being patient with it. uh, And absolutely. And there are two phrases that I like as weird as one of them is the one that's not weird is that we all, what is it exactly? Uh, If we all stretch twice as much as we do, we'd be stretching half as much as we should, which I think carries a lot of weight (laughs) because most people, you know, before they, before they get ready to go run, they're like, all right, well, like I touched this toe, I touched that toe, I did like the stand and, and upper trunk twist thing two or three times, maybe like grab my knee and then now I'm off to the races. And the, yeah. the one that sounds weird, but I think at least gives a pretty good uh, mental or like physiological state of what, how warm you should be. And this is from Sam, whom you've met. He says, if you don't have a solid upper lip sweat going before your workout starts, you're not warm. Not oh, warm. correct. Oh, he's spot, is, oh my gosh. So spot on. And it's, it's tough. And, and so one of the things that's interesting about the, uh, the plan that we offer that a lot of the people that are listening to this and in our Facebook group are on that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, joshmuskin.com in the training plan section, there's a one year Ironman training plan, a lot of the running and a lot of the biking as well. We actually just measure in time and we put two constraints on that. We essentially say if you are someone who runs faster than seven minutes and 30 seconds per mile, you are just going to run for that amount of time. 
uh, or whatever that time is divided by that in miles. So like one hour run at that pace is eight miles. You're just not going to run further than that when it says an hour. And the other cap is for the folks who are more on like the 10 minute mile side or above, you're just never going to run less miles than what a 10 minute mile pace at that time. So like six miles for that same hour run. And that to your point of knowing, needing to know when you're going to back off, when you're going to go harder, it gives you the flexibility to do that. Cause one of the problems when you've got something that says for the middle four miles of the seven mile run, you need to be in zone five. Like if you just feel like crap that day, that's probably the worst idea that you've ever had to oh, go and try terrible. to do that. And it's running is one of those things that I find really interesting because you can, if anyone has ever gone to a marathon or even a 5k for that matter, not participated, but just watched the amount of different people or body types that you see is amazing. And if you look a little bit further beneath the surface, regardless of the body type that you're looking at, there are people of all shapes and sizes who run well and of all shapes and sizes who simply move their legs in something that kind of looks like running. Yeah, and correct. A huge difference. And there is something that I, I fundamentally believe, which some people may not like me for, but I believe that every, any individual person with the right amount of running form practice can run an eight minute mile, just one. You know, maybe you don't run a marathon of eight minute mile pace, but if you are using your body in the way that it's designed and you are running in an effective manner, that should be something that's relatively simple to accomplish. And there are a lot of people who run in a way that is extremely inefficient, that puts a lot of damage or a lot of potential for damage on a lot of the critical joints below the hip, but they're, you know, air quotes running, but it's, you know, those are the people with, they're running with knee wraps, they've got ankle braces, they've got all sorts of stuff on, but they're like, they're doing it. And God bless the mentality of that, but there's, you know, there's something to be said for looking at running as a form rather than an activity and then kind of seeing how that form affects your speed the way that you feel your pace and then kind of building from that oh it's all form i it's i can't stress that enough it the way people there's there's many ways people can get hurt running unfortunately over because it is an overuse you know it's a, a many injuries or overuse injuries mm -hmm. um but if form 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 and stretching are the two biggest things that i see people you know there was one guy there was one guy i, I do a running group you know, on thursdays a lot and this one guy just kept in her kept in her kept in her and and he shows up he shows up to, it, it's a it's a cold it's like 30 degrees <laughs> and he's in shorts and i'm like what are you doing you know, you got to stay warm, man. You got to stay like, you got to keep your muscles warm. Like yeah. it's not smart. And, and, and then you finish and then, you know, you don't stretch, you don't stretch at all. And then you have a beer, like, listen, I've done that many, many times. And so are many people in this podcast, but like at least I would say two to three runs, especially the difficult ones, stretch, take your time. And then while you're running, there's two main things I talk, I think of it's my breathing and form. Those are the two things I think about when I'm going running other than many other things, but those two things. <laughs> right. Uh, well, as far as the running thoughts go, what are the form thoughts? Um, it, how my foot's landing. That is, that is number one. How is my foot landing? Um, is it landing properly? Is it landing in the right spot? Am I landing on the midfoot? Is it, how's my pace? Is it, is it, is my tempo good? 
you know, your ideal cadence for running is like at 180 mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so is my speed. I know I, I have a, I have a tendency sometimes to overextend my leg cause I do have longer legs. Um, so I have a tendency to, uh, stretch it out more too far. And that's when I can start feeling my knee get a little tight. Um, I had shin splints in high school, so that's what caused that was mm-hmm. I was stretching out too much and hitting with my heel. Um, so form wise, it's all about where my foot's landing. It's all about how my feet are landing, how quick that, how quick the turnover is, how's my, how my ankles feel. Are they fresh or they're getting tired, are they getting fatigued. Um, and then also at the same, you know, if other things are getting fatigued, like I had some hamstring issues, so I wasn't able, my one foot was landing a little weird. Um, and I just try to stay on top of that as best as possible at any pace. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It doesn't matter if it's fast. Um, it doesn't matter if it's slow. You're, you're just constantly just sort of dialing in your form a little bit each and each and every time. And hopefully yeah. you get to the point when your fitness is good enough and you're just like, like you, I know when I'm clicking and things are going well, cause I'm not thinking about it anymore because it's just there. It's just landing really well. Yeah. And there have been a couple of very counterintuitive things that I had to learn. So I, I joked earlier not to talk about my stupid 10 mile run, but I, it's probably relevant. <laughs> so, it is relevant. So when I, this was either like right before I called you and told you that I, I signed up for, for the Ironman or right after. And, and I'm not entirely sure which is true, but the, I decided that my test to see if I could run or if I could complete an Ironman in a year, I had convinced myself that if I could leave work on Thursday, go home, throw on what is probably seven-year-old running shoes and go run 10 miles, which for the record, the furthest I had furthest I had ever run before that was five or 4.98 because it was an 8K, uh, that I would, I would then go back to my couch and I would sign up. And I had... I have no idea how I convinced myself that, that was a good idea. So I went on on Map My Run or one of those, and I mapped out a five-mile loop around the neighborhood, and I went outside, and I just ran. And I'm like, I'm like come on. Like, I'm an athlete. I play college sports. Like, how hard is this going to be? I'm just going to go out there and jog for a while. And I didn't have, at the time, like a, a Strava or Garmin watch or anything like that. I just mapped the loop out. I knew when I got home that it would be over. And I probably went out of the driveway running like a two minute mile pace. Like I was moving (laughs) so so fast. And to my surprise, when I knew I was halfway, I actually felt okay. Like I I wasn't running two minute miles anymore, but I was, you know, I was keeping a good pace. My breathing was all right. I didn't feel like I was kind of crumbling under my own weight, but the last two miles I really did. And it really became an, a mental exercise more than a physical one of me just saying like, okay, I've, I've run eight miles. I'm now going to go run two more. So I finished, which is cool. But then I couldn't bend my legs for like three days, which was <laughs> not cool. Uh, and there was, there was a lot I learned from that and where I live uh, currently. And even at that point is extremely hilly. And I was in no way thinking about, cadence and foot strike and any of that i was just running what felt very natural and i realized that there was uh there were times when i felt really really good and times when i felt really really terrible and they were completely opposites of what i thought i should expect in kind of retrospect when i felt really good i was running uphill and when i felt really terrible i was running downhill and what i inevitably learned was that when i was running downhill i basically was just 
throwing my body to the wind. However, my foot landed because I was sprinting down the hill was how it landed. And I would get these like shocks up by shin and knees. And it yep. was, I was basically just falling over and over again. But when I was running uphill, heel never touched the ground. It was very forefoot, midfoot strike, uh, smaller steps because you're basically climbing a giant set of stairs. And mm you know, recovering from that run took some time. And there was doubt between when I finished the run, signed up for the Ironman, and they didn't recover for a week that I was like, oh, crap, I just wasted a bunch of money. Uh, but then I started to think, okay, so running uphill felt good. What does that mean? And that was really when I started to discover something that's been around forever, but that I didn't know was the term, which was pose running, which I now talk to people about all the time, which yep. is a product of fast cadence so like that 165 to 180 cadence and yep. the really the turnover rate at that point because if you run at a 180 cadence it's basically impossible for your heel to hit first because you have to pick your foot up so fast to put it back in front of you yeah that's the goal <laughs> yeah and that so is the goal the the other one that made a lot of sense to me um, and so again, I'm pushing the nerd glasses up, but like, so I ended up buying a Garmin and I bought the Garmin run pod, which is that little yellow thing you clip to your pants. And it tells you like, how oh, I love time it. You spend on one individual foot versus the other. It's the best $60 you can spend, uh, if you have a Garmin, but one of the things that they measure is called vertical oscillation, which is the percentage yeah. of your distance that moves forward versus moves up and vertically. Yep. And obviously, the more you push up, the less you're moving forward and the slower you're getting with the same effort, which as an efficiency nut, I'm like, well, that's stupid. You should just run forward, not upward. And so that was like another visual that really helped. I already knew I had to run. I'm going to say quickly. I had to turn my feet over quickly. I already knew that I wasn't supposed to be landing on my heel. But now I had this thought of, okay, that's why running uphill felt so good. I mean, short of the fact that it was hard was because I was actually pressing myself forward in a directional way versus just kind of like bouncing up and down like a bunny rabbit running down the road. Yep. Yep. And I can't, I can't stress this enough. I was running with, um, another, uh, a guy I actually used to run against in college, uh, last night. And we were talking a lot about this and, and, you know, just form and physical, you know, ability and, and how he was feeling and how I was feeling. And I was looking around and I can't, even if you're running slow, you know, so to speak, whatever your slow, whatever your easy workout day is, whatever your easy run is, you still need to practice good form. Mm -hmm. You still, you, I focus, I actually focus more on form on a slow run, um, on a, on my easy days than I do on my fast days because it's harder. It's harder mm -hmm. that you got to focus you, and you got to practice it. You have to practice your form. You have to practice how you're going to run those type of things. Um, cause that way come race day, you're not thinking about it as much. And I can't, I can't stress that enough to people. You're spot on a lot of this stuff. And the, the constant, which it took me a while to understand and learn the constant while running, whether it's an easy day, a slow day, a fast day, a sprinting day is the turnover speed. It is that 165 to 180 cadence. The difference is, how far you're pushing off each individual step or how much effort is being included from each foot. So that's really strange though. When you first the amount of power, it, yeah. The amount of like, power okay. you're pushing off. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, if I'm sprinting, 
and I'm just making these up because I haven't sprinted in what feels like forever. But if I'm sprinting, maybe I'm going at a six minute mile pace at 180 steps per minute at whatever that is, meters per step, I don't know. And if I'm jogging extremely slowly, I may be going a nine minute mile pace at 180 steps per minute at one third of the meters per step. And, and that's like a really hard thing to understand, or not to understand necessarily, but to actually go out and do because in your head, you're like, my feet are moving so fast, but I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. But it also doesn't hurt. So that's good. <laughs> that's key. <laughs> that keeps, that keeps people healthy. The difference, the, the biggest thing also something to stress is the difference between whatever your race pace, your projected race pace is going to be mm-hmm. at that distance, whether you're, whether someone's training for an Ironman, a marathon, a 5k, 10 mile, whatever, whatever your the difference between your projected race pace and your easy days it, people don't most people don't have a big margin so to speak like it's not a big difference people mm-hmm. need to grow that margin a little bit more no mm-hmm. matter what there's not a percentage there's not a there's not a you know for example you know you were talking about my mile time and stuff like that like when we would go and do easy runs even in college we're still doing you know six minute I would say like six minute paces a lot, you know, with maybe a quick finish that might be like a mid five minute pace, but my mile time is still a four minute pace. So it's like a 50%. If you think about it, it's like a 50% difference, just six minutes, you know, six minute or seven, seven, seven minutes. You know, if you're doing seven minute miles on a long run, that's like a, you know, what I, I don't know, 65% difference, almost 70. Um, you know, so it's a big difference in pacing. So I can't stress that enough that when you're doing an easy day, it's really important to like back off, make sure your heart rate's staying low, make sure your breathing's staying easy. Like it's an easy day. It shouldn't be labored. Yeah. Um, you know, you're just, you're just trying to get some mileage in. So you said heart rate. So I want to jump into that a little bit because there's a lot, there's, I'm going to simplify, oversimplify probably that there's two schools of thought. There's a thousand, but for the sake of conversation, there is the, um, the rate of perceived exertion, which is effectively feel like how hard do I yeah. feel like I'm running? And then there's yeah. heart rate zones, which is, Correct. um, I'm, I might get this wrong, but it's whatever your 220 minus your age is your max heart rate. And then it's like every 10% of that number down are your individual zones down to one, something like that. Yeah, something around that. It, it, there's a few schools of thought, but it's something in that range, yes. So I have an opinion, but I want you to tell me your opinion first between those okay. two things. Oh, between those two schools of thought? Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I'm more feel. Um, I'm definitely more feel than I am with the heart rate zones um, because there are some days, and you and I have talked about this, Mm-hmm. Uh, other times where, you know, all of a sudden my heart rate is spiking really high, really, really fast. And I'm like, oh, my body's telling me something, mm-hmm. um, you know, excluding zones. My body's telling me something. Um, so I'm definitely more of a feel and I'm definitely focused more on the breathing aspect of it. Cause I know if I can control my breath and I'm taking good deep breaths, I'm controlling my heart rate in that fashion. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sort of my thought. I don't really think, I know some people that are really into the heart rate zone. Um, 
school of thought and I get it. I understand it. I, I, I know it. Um, but I'm, and I, and I'm definitely very aware of it, but I don't focus on it in my, mm, I don't focus on this. I don't do zone training as much as some people do. And so here's, so I get it. The, the zone training, I get it from a, a scientific and technical and very mathematic and algorithmic perspective of if you were yeah. looking at a five year time frame and you're saying at this pace, I want to drop my average heart rate by five beats a minute, then there is some validity to taking a very strategic and scientific approach to how much time you spend in each individual zone. But even those people are going to have your experience where they say like, well, I feel like crap today. I'm just not going to listen to whatever this thing says. What yeah. I find is most of an issue to people just getting into running, especially long distance running, is for the for a lot of the days, especially in a lot of Ironman plans that I've seen where the run is focused on is basically like a point of survival versus a point of performance, is okay. say something like, all right, go run for an hour and a half in zone two. And this is a training day. So you didn't just bike beforehand. You didn't just swim beforehand. You're like fresh. You just had your breakfast, you know, whatever. They say, go run an hour at zone two. If you live anywhere that isn't the beach or like the Utah salt flats and you run up a hill, all of a sudden you're out of zone two. And so you've, you run into this problem where people are, uh, they're almost moving less and slower, much slower than like 180 steps per minute pace to hit this heart rate zone that actually ends up impacting their form. So I find value in the heart rate zones if you are, if the form is already covered, you're a hyper experienced runner, you yeah. got that down, you live in a very controlled environment, maybe you're doing a lot of treadmill work, but what uh, I have talked to a lot of people about what a lot of people encouraged me to do and what uh, I've encouraged a lot of other people to do is find somewhere that's hilly, whatever hilly is for where you live, and just try to keep a pace, a pace that on a flat yeah. piece of ground you could run at an 80% effort and be okay. You know, eventually get hard, you would be okay. And try to keep that same pace uphill and downhill because you're effectively going to train yourself into zones, but you're going to be able to focus on stuff like cadence on how your foot's landing versus trying to artificially manipulate your heart rate into something that may or may not even be the right suggestion for you. Yeah, unless you're really experienced and, and are really into it, um, I don't recommend zone training. Um, I, like I said, I've, I've done portions of it. I know people that do it and, but it's, it's, they are all very experienced. Um, I, one of my buddies is a, is a, is the distance coach at uh, Westchester and he was really big into heart rate zone stuff. He does some coaching. Um, but he coaches other athletes. He's an incredible endurance athlete. Um, for someone just getting into it. I mean, I think you and I talked about it. Yeah, just focus on your form. Focus on a good pace. Don't go crazy going up the hill. Focus on finishing, you know, on keeping that pace on top of the hill, and you know, things like that. It, it, you're going to find a lot more success. And honestly, you're going to enjoy it more. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you're going to enjoy it a lot more as opposed to constantly stressing, oh, my God, I'm two beats over the zone. What am I going to do? Yeah. And, then, and then mentally, you're just, you're, you're even more in your head. Um, as opposed to how much you already in there. Um, so I, yeah, I completely agree. So there's I got a, a couple other things I want to talk about in terms of running and then we'll get to biking for a little bit. And uh, one is going to apply to both and that's breathing, um, which we'll touch on. The one thing that I want to demystify a little bit 
and see if we can put a couple um, anecdotes or, or otherwise ways to think about it around is, is the core in general. So like core strength, ab strength, the way that your torso should be positioned while you're running. The, it, and I, I say demystify because I, I often hear from other trainers, from other athletes where they're basically just like, oh, core strength is so important. But then no one says anything other than that. And it's just like this weird thing. It's like, well, if I do 12 sit-ups, like, does that count? Like, am I good? And it's, so there are two things that I think are really important when it comes to running as it pertains to that, uh, going back to our form conversation. So one of, I think, uh, I think that the most common injury for runners is IT band syndrome. Tendonitis of the IT band. I think the close second is, uh, Achilles or something like that, but I'm pretty sure the number uh, one runner, runners and runner's knee, runner's yeah, knee is really knee. high up there too. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, but it band, I think is, is the number one and there's pretty high up there. Yeah. There's a few reasons for that. And one of the biggest ones is, I mean, yes, there's hip weakness and all of that plays a part into it too. But if, uh, and I'm trying to, I'm saying a lot, cause I'm trying to think of how to say this without showing it because we're on a radio and not a video. But if you were to think like, you remember the viral picture of Kim Kardashian where like the champagne was going over her head? Yeah, you know I know where you're going with this. Yeah. I hope everyone else does too. But like her, her back was arched in such a way where yeah. it, it was almost making like an inward C shape. So a lot of people, when they think about, I really need to open my chest up, I really need to breathe deeply, they take this big chest breath and they really reduce the amount of width around their waist, which often puts their back in kind of that inverse C position. And what happens yeah. when you do that is it actually takes a lot of the hip stabilization muscles just out of play. They just can't fire yep. in that position. And so when your foot hits the ground, even if you're doing everything right, even if you're running at the 108 beats per minute, you struck on your forefoot, you're all good. Even if you do that, what's going to happen is your hip's going to drop to the outside. Your knee's going to counterbalance that to the inside, which is going to overly stretch the IT band on the outside. And if you do that 1,600 times every mile for a few miles, like that's just going to start to hurt after a while. And so when yep. people say things like core strength is so important, one of the ways to think about that while running, in my opinion at least, is to take your hips and basically reduce the distance between your rib cage and your waistline and that kind of removes that c-shape and puts you in a position where the hips can fire a little bit more your chest is still not restricted from breathing but it's a very like tactile thing that you can see that you can feel that just helps incorporate a lot of those big muscles in your legs to better just do their job versus just removing them from the equation altogether yeah you're spot on uh hips hips hip flexibility and stability is so important from from an, an, an Ironman perspective because it's incredibly important on the bike. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have good hip stability, then your hips are rocking back and forth and your bike's wobbling and, you know, now, that, now you're not as aerodynamic. Um, from a running perspective, you know, you want to keep your hips, you know, between your hips and your shoulders, uh, your core, that, that, that core, your back, your abs, um, uh, the back stabilizers, planks, planks are the best damn thing you could do. Um, God, we used to do so many freaking planks, um, <laughs> side planks, one arm planks, all sorts of planks because, Oh my God, do they work? Um, planks and lunges, man. Uh, just, just cure everything. Um, they're painful, but they work. 
because that, that's not just that's not just working your core. It's working the back stabilizers. It's working your hips. It's working uh, your hip extenders on the outside and the and the abductors on the outside of your quads that a lot of people don't work um, or don't use. You don't use it that much running. You're never going to be like, oh man, my abductors are really sore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but when they're not working right that's when you get IT issues. That's when you get what they call runner's knee, you know, patella tendonitis. Um, I've had patella tendonitis a number of times, uh, infamously in infamously in college, I ran on really bad patella tendonitis on both my knees for conferences. Um, but you know, it's one of those things like you just get it done and just got to do it. Um, so yeah, core hip, strength and stability, I think is the biggest word there, mm-hmm. you know, not just, yeah, you can do a whole bunch of sit-ups and it's kind of going to help, but it's more about stability. So it's, it's really from your hips all the way yeah, to your rib cage, which is perfect. It's a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. So it's so key. So let's use, let's use breathing as a segue to go from running sure. to cycling. You're going to have to do it during both hopefully exactly. Um, <laughs> is there, what are the similarities? What are the differences between the two? Oh my gosh. Um, oh, so many, um, from a running perspective, you know what, actually we can start with cycling. Um, so in an Ironman perspective, um, you want to obviously have it as controlled as possible. Um, something that a lot of people don't talk about when you get into your arrow position on the bike, um, and you start getting your elbows really close, you're actually, you're actually shrinking the amount of space that your ribs can expand with your lungs. Mm -hmm. So if you're a little bit taller, like myself, even any size, it's really important to understand where your elbows are. And how, you know, how sort of your back is shaped to get the best sort of version of arrow versus how much uh, breathing, uh, how much, how much air you can take in. Right. Um, That is really, really important. So I, I constantly tell people, I'm like, you know, when you're doing, when you're doing training, mess around, like, okay, today I'm going to, I'm going to experiment and keep my elbows out a little wider. Maybe I can breathe a little bit better, or, or maybe I can get a little bit tighter, you know, save, it will save me a few seconds from an arrow standpoint, but it might, um, uh, but I can still breathe the same as far as like breathing pacing with, uh, cycling, it's definitely controlled breath. And as deep you, you'd never want to start getting shallow. You know, the second you start getting shallow breaths, um, that's when you know, you're like, Oh, you know, mm-hmm. my heart rate's going to start spiking, you know, and, and, um, and just keeping keeping good cadence is just key. Once you get into a really good cadence rhythm, I always find my breathing sort of follows with cycling. Um, yeah, and just can. focusing on and focusing on my position on the bike. So mm-hmm. how am I feeling? Are my lungs is it too am I too tight? You know, even though I'm in the drops or in an arrow position, you know, do I just need to open up a little bit and make sure I'm taking good deep breaths? because that's what's going to keep you going longer um, in, in cycling. Yeah, and there's, uh, so there's a, few, there's a lot that you said there to unpack. One is um, cadence, which we'll talk about 
uh, I'll come back to that, but how it's so yeah. important on running and how it's so important on cycling. It was, it was one of the first things that you told me that I took, um, to heart through all of training, but the, the other important things to note are the three seconds over the course of six hours that you're going to save by yep. all those being a quarter inch closer to each other for yep. like, look, if you're trying to go to Kona, do it, squeeze your elbows, don't breathe, whatever, you know, go nuts. Yep. But if you are signed up for this for the first time, or if you're just out there to enjoy the day, comfort is so key. And it's funny because all the people who I talked to who are, who are in the middle of training, who are considering signing up for an Ironman or something like that, everyone's worried about the swim and the run. And the swim I get, right? Like if you're not a, a swimmer, it's weird. You're in the middle of the water. Yeah. Fine. That's a little unnatural. We're not fish. Uh, and the Terrifying. run, to some extent, I get because the um, a marathon in general is so touted in society as this this big endurance event. So everyone's worried about the swim and the run, and they forget that you bike for a work day in some cases. Mm -hmm. So comfort is so ridiculously important that, yes, your body is the biggest piece of drag on the bike, and it is going to get the most amount of time added to your bike from an aerodynamic standpoint, but you comfort outweighs aerodynamics if you're not pushing for that qualifying or that podium spot or that extra PR. Like if you're out there to have fun, enjoy the day and just accomplish this thing, which is, you know, kudos enough to your point, play around, get to a part that's comfortable because it's, it's equal points, how far away your elbows are apart so that you can breathe. It's also how, how far apart they are in front or, or towards you so that you're not yep. doing like a plank the whole time and you can actually just yep. rest on them. But the, so tying this into cadence a little bit, which we'll get into the, uh, at least I found, and you tell me your experience with this was that you told me uh, cadence on the bike is like 90 to hundred RPM plus all the time is short of like the steepest hill in the universe. And what, whether I took that too literally or not, that was essentially the goal on a lot of the training that I did. It's uh, the goal on a lot of the training that I encourage other people to do. And basically the sentence goes something like find a gear that you can do that cadence in and have a full on conversation with the person next to you. That is your baseline starting point speed, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if we talked about, it, but you know, with my, I have a lot of racing experience on cycling, you know, road cycling, which is um, very, very, very different than Ironman. You know, Ironman, 112 miles, you're going, you're, you're pacing yourself over six hours and, oh, you got to pace yourself enough that you have some semblance of energy left for a marathon. Mm -hmm. um, road cycling, you're, if you actually look at power meters and heart rates in road cycling, it's actually closer to the NBA um, <laughs> because it, it is because you're like, you're in a pack and it's flat, it's flat, it's flat. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, big hill, big attack. And your, your heart rate skyrocketing and, and your power meters going crazy and all sorts of stuff. And then it drops back down because you're coasting down a hill. So it's very different. And so that's why it's funny. I, I constantly see try, especially entry level triathletes, like new triathletes, they are pushing a way too big of a gear. They're pushing a huge gear because they think, oh my God, if I, if I push this gear at, you know, 70 RPM, that's going to be great. But all that's doing is putting more stress on your joints, on your muscles and your hips and especially your knees. The amount of people I hear um, with knee pain in cycling 
is a lot, and that's going to translate even worse to your run. The biggest key, the reason why you want to keep that high cadence that, for me, I found my cadence, I'm going to be really specific, anywhere from 95 to 98 RPM yeah. is like my perfect cadence. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically why is because you're, you know, you're going over all sorts of different terrain and you're changing gears to match your cadence because a higher cadence puts the strain on your lungs and your heart, which can handle a much, much higher workload than your muscles for six hours. Right. So, and hopefully, and hopefully you don't go anaerobic as well. So that's what's so Mm -hmm. key for someone who's doing an Ironman or, or any sort of long distance ride. It's so key to keep that high cadence and adjust the gears to sort of match that. Um, because, because it's going to, again, if you watch professional cyclists, that's what they're doing. They're, they're, if they're going up a mountain, they're spinning their gears. They're spinning at literally 95 RPM around 90, 95 RPM. Sometimes it might get to the mid eighties, but, um, that's what they're doing. They're, they're just adjusting the gears to their cadence, wherever they are, whatever the terrain is. Um, because it puts, it puts the pressure on your on your heart and on your lungs, which can handle it. It can handle six hours of that, hopefully. <laughs> and that, right. And that that is such a simple piece of advice, but it's so valuable because it you really are in the sweet spot. You're like, okay, well, I don't want to be out here all day, but I got to do this little cool down run after it that some people call a marathon. And so, the, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I have um, a friend, one of the guys who actually inspired me to sign up. His name is Matt. And he made a joke one day to me that said, there is no truer statement than when you are on the run course of the Ironman and you are somewhere in the middle of the marathon, you are going to pass people that are walking and that are talking about how they crushed the bike. And <laughs> he's like, I can't tell you how many times it's like, you, this guy can like barely move. And he's talking to his buddies like, dude, I did that 515 bike today. This marathon might take me 12 hours, but the bike was 515. And he's like, you don't want to be that guy. No. And it's, you know, no. that, again, it's counterintuitive. It's just like running. And, you know, someone's going to look at you and go, Kevin, really? Like you want me to pedal a hundred times a minute and that's somehow going to be easier than doing it 70 times a minute. And you're going to go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's way easier. <laughs> because you're doing, you know, seven or you know a hundred just like moving your legs in a circle movements versus 70 whatever three quarter leg individual squats per rotation and the other thing that's true when your cadence is that high there's almost like a little bit of this gyroscopic effect where i don't want to go overboard and say that it like helps you balance the bike but it's almost harder to balance the bike when you really have to put effort into one leg and then the other and then one leg and then the other you really do start to kind of wobble, you can be a little bit more stable with a faster cadence just because it's going to be more consistent in the amount of effort that you have to output. You're totally spot on. Like it, if you watch, just watch the Tour de France for five minutes and just, and just look, look at their hips and their knees and their feet. They're going crazy because they're going 95, you know, 95 to 85 RPM a lot of times, sometimes higher. Some of the guys, a lot of the Europeans uh, in the mountains like to do like closer to a hundred. Um, 100 RPM that is, but then anything above their hip, from their hips up, it's totally quiet. It is so, I mean, they're not moving. 
That bike right. is not rocking back and forth right. unless they're putting out crazy amount of power. Oh, sure. um, you know, you want it, it, it keeps because you're putting less stress on your hips. You're putting less stress on, on all those little muscles and all those little tendons, your hip adductors and your hip flexors and, and all those little things and your knee. And so you're not wobbling anymore. Your core is quiet. So you're more efficient. And when you're spending less energy, you know, riding all of a sudden after the first hour is like, Oh yeah, I feel great. The second hour you're like, all right, yeah, I still feel really good. The yeah. third hour you're like, all right, yeah, I still feel really good because you're not, you're not spending energy keeping your core tight. You're not thinking about it because your legs are just spinning, yeah. you know, and, and you're not, and you're not wearing down all those other things because you're just, yeah, I'm just going to spin. You know, it's much, much easier for everyone. You can yeah. tell right away. I can, I can tell right away when I see someone go riding like a triathlete, I can, if I see an aero bike go by and I'm like, that's a triathlete because you can just tell because a lot of times they're, they're pushing a big gear and they're wobbling all over the place. And you're like, Oh boy. And in like five minutes, this guy's going to blow up and Oh, well it happens. <laughs> is it like, is there like an extra ounce of respect for the one aero bike you see where the guy's pedaling a hundred times a minute? You're like, yeah, that guy knows. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, you're like that guy gets it. You're like you're you, you can tell. You can tell right away. You're like that guy or person, you know, whoever um they get it. I, I saw a few there was a Philly Tri group that went by me yesterday uh when I was running on the on the Schuylkill River Trail and uh they they absolutely I mean they were crushing it. They were flying and they were just spinning like crazy. So, it's definitely it's definitely something to focus on. It took a lot of practice for me. Um, it's not something you're going to like wake up and do tomorrow um, because it's a little counterintuitive, but once you get used to it, oh my God, it changed, it changed the world for me. It made me such a better cyclist and it made me able to finish long races and long rides a lot more fresh. Um, because then I could just, uh, at the end of the race, you're just, you're feeling a lot better and you're going to have a lot more energy. Yeah. I mean, you're hungry, but uh, you're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> but in general, in general, you might be sore, but what's going to be sore is like your quads and your calves, not your, your knees aren't going to be hurting. Your right. hips aren't going to be hurting. Your back isn't going to be hurting as much because you're not wobbling and you're trying to stabilize the bike and going back and forth and causing all these, you know, when you start seeing the shoulders go back and forth, that's like a big, like, Oh, this guy's, you know, I, I, in racing, yeah, you're trying to pick up those, you're trying to pick up those cues. So, you know, for me, like I get used to, you know, call it, you know, whether it's a track meet or a bike race, you're trying to pick up those little cues as the race goes along. Like, can I get this guy? Can I get this person? Mm -hmm. And, and so when in cycling, when I start seeing someone's shoulders wobble back and forth, their hip is wobbling a little bit more, this one, I'm like, okay, I can get after this one, <laughs> you know, or, or if they launch an attack and they start going forward, I know they're going to wear down a lot faster. So that's, yeah. that's what, yeah, you can definitely tell you're going to be less tired. You're going to be, it's going to be easier for you. And that's, I mean, unless you're really trying to, to knock this thing out in, in 10 hours or less, like you really are almost looking for what is the easiest way that I can get across this thing in the fastest way. Like there's a phrase for uh, Jeep clubs that go, you know, off-roading and like those Moab groups and whatnot. And they say, 
something to the effect of I go as fast as possible, but as slow as necessary. And that's kind of what we're talking about, which is like, yes, Correct. you want to finish as fast as you can because you want to make it within the time cap. You maybe want to beat your time from last year if you're a repeat uh, racer, but you also have to always be conscious of, you know, this thing's 140 miles. Like if you go AWOL on mile 26, like you're going to have a bad day. So it's a matter oh, of really yeah. kind of keeping yourself in, in check the whole time, which requires an enormous amount of patience and a little bit of, of being able to kind of curb the anxiety uh, because there's definitely going to be a point where you're like, oh my God, did I just push that last mile too hard? Was that it? Is it all downhill from here? But, <laughs> you know, in reality, the answer is probably not. You know, and yeah. even if you did, you've got plenty of time to recover. But the, you know, if we're going to drastically oversimplify the last hour and you take, not you, but anyone who's listening takes anything away from this, it's the importance of cadence for running or cycling. If you can find a way to be comfortable moving your feet 160 to 180 times a minute while running, 90 to 100 times a minute while cycling, and that is your constant the rest of the stuff's going to be relatively easy to figure out because if you're moving your legs that fast running, you're not going to be taking huge strides. So you're going to take a lot of tension out of your hamstrings and out of your knees yep. and out of your hips. And if you're doing that on the bike, you're not going to be in a huge gear, which means that you're yep. going to be able to learn how to breathe with some relative ease. You're going to be able to learn like, okay, maybe I'm moving a little bit slower than I could, but now I know what I can build off of. And I can, yep. you know, in, in an interval fashion, do a couple minutes at a higher gear at the same speed and then back off. And that's how I can practice getting a little bit faster. But that's yep. like those two things. If you just went to bed with a metronome in your ear and memorize what those two beats per minute sounded like, you would be a little bit better off than if you had never done that before. Yeah. And the cool thing with cadence is, you know, once you get comfortable with it, then you start focusing on, okay, I'm really comfortable at, you know, 90 RPM, 95 RPM. And I can average, I don't know, 17, 18, 19 miles an hour. Well, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can start pushing this cadence. Oh, I'm feeling good today. All right, let me see if I can do cadence in like that one gear a little bit bigger or a little bit longer or something. Or, or maybe I can attack this hill, you know, going up a big hill still in that cadence in that 90, 95 RPM range, but it's going to be a slightly bigger gear. And, you know, and, and, and that's how you get stronger progressively each time. Once I got the cadence mm -hmm. down, then I got stronger and stronger and stronger and, and I could attack hills and downhills and all sorts of different things, you know, a much different uh, thought process to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I do want to get to, we've been talking for about an hour. Uh, yeah. I want to get to uh, one question that was posted in our Facebook group for all the people who are following uh, the plan from the website. And that question is something that's, it happens two different times uh, during an Ironman. It happens certainly once on any regular foot race. But when you are in an Ironman or any other triathlon, when you're switching events, you're often hit with a little bit of adrenaline in, uh, in an Ironman setting where maybe you're taking like a couple extra minutes to transition because it's a 12 to 17 hour day anyway. What's a few seconds? <laughs> you, you know, you actually refresh yourself a little bit. And so there, and especially if you're just starting like a 5K, 10K, half marathon, regular marathon, you have a lot of adrenaline built up. You're excited, you're pumped, oh, yeah. you put all this work in to get to the start line, which is admirable as it is, and you wanna go out and you wanna have your best race. And there's this 
subconscious urge to just go like a little bit way too hard. And in my yep. own personal experience, my half marathon or my half Ironman, rather, my first mile of the half marathon was six minutes. And I thought, I didn't oh look at my, my watch. God. Yeah, I know. I look, I didn't look at my watch, which was stupid. But in my head, I was like, all right, let's take this easy. You know, we've got this nice little bounce going. Everything feels kind of good. I feel really calm. My watch buzzed because I got to the first mile. It was like 6.04. I was like, well, that was a mistake. This is only going to go horribly wrong from here. And it, you know, but I think my last mile was 7.40. So it, it, it changed. Big but difference. even, you know, I, I even thought like, okay, I learned from that on my full Ironman. I obviously bike twice as far. There's no way my body's going to want to do that. And coming out of transition, I was like 7.15. And I, I literally stopped running. Yeah, you did something crazy. I remember that. Like, I was like, okay, I'm just going to walk for 10 steps. And then I'm going to run at a respectable and reasonable pace for where I am. But, yeah. you know, that's all to say I I didn't think about it and I made a mistake. And, okay, cool. But I learned from that. And I still, my body subconsciously tried to make the same mistake. So how, knowing that it's so unconscious of a decision to just go crazy out of the gate or yep. out of transition what are you doing to not do that and what are some things to, think um, about to kind of save yourself and get into that negative split mentality versus the i'm going to spread this whole thing mentality yeah i can't oh my god negative you hit you hit god you took the phrase negative split practice negative splits i cannot stress that enough um running cycling whatever um, I do it. I try to do it as much as possible. It helps a lot. It helps from a training perspective and it helps from just from a mental perspective too. Um, one, uh, as far as like the adrenaline and controlling it in the beginning of a race or a transition is, uh, <laughs> is practice. Um, I've probably done, I mean, between track and cross country and after college, I've probably done literally like a thousand races. Um, so I have a lot of practice in it. Um, so the biggest thing mentally is just have a plan. Have a plan and say, okay, first mile, I have to run about eight minutes and hit it. Hit your, hit your first mile. I can't stress it enough. Hit that first mile and then go, okay, I feel pretty good. Let's see what happens. Um, and sort of go from there and sort of build off that that's the best way I can sort of describe it is like, just focus, have a plan and focus on that first mile. And, and definitely it's, I mean, most people listening to this probably have some sort of pacing watch. Now they're so good nowadays and far cheaper than what they used to. So take a look, take a look at your lap time and be like, Oh God, I've done it too. I mean, it's happened to me before, even recently, uh, like my, like two broad streets ago, I think I went out in like a five forty something crazy. And, and I was trying to, you know, I knew I, at the time I knew I could not keep that pace up. Um, I think I ended up coming back to earth and, and, you know, finishing in like six minute pace. Um, but it still happens. It happens a lot. So the biggest thing, have a plan, focus on it, control your breathing, make sure you're taking nice deep breaths and, and it's going to help. It's going to help a lot. And also just practice, you know, do a local 5k. And just practice the adrenaline that's that you feel on the line. It, it definitely helps. Practice helps. I can't. That that's a big one. And negative splits. So those those few little things. Yeah, and and just for the record, terminology wise, negative split. You run the second half of whatever the race is faster than the first half. So yeah, and even it, 
Got yeah, yeah, and even if you do it in a workout, like you know, warm up for say like a mile or two. Always warm up more. Um, people don't warm up enough. You know, take it easy. Jog. Go your go your sort of like nice and easy pace. Run say you know two miles. Maybe not. You know, I would say not race pace. You know, maybe like I don't know. Yeah, whatever whatever your race pace is plus a little bit, and then the second half then run your race pace. Um, and mentally, it's going to be tougher, but you're going to start practicing, okay, I'm going out nice and easy, and I'm only going to get faster. And it just, it helps build a lot of confidence. Like, yeah. we haven't even, we haven't, it just helps you build mental confidence that you have the strength to finish this race fast, which is and, always, which is always great. It helps. And fast is cool. And just, I mean, the same thing said in a different way. If you know that you can consistently run the second half of your runs faster than the first half of your runs, like just think of what that says to the fitness that you've built thus far. You know, usually people oh, yeah. they go out and just my idiotic 10-mile run that we unfortunately discussed, I went out and definitely did not run the second half faster than the first. I deteriorated and got worse over time. But if you have dialed in your form, you focus on it enough, your training is good, your fitness is there. If you know that you can go out, maintain a pace that's very comfortable for you. And then if you do have a time goal that you're trying to hit, really push for it in that second half. I mean, that's awesome. It's a great feeling and it's very easily trained for. Yeah. And at any pace, this is any paces, right. any paces, any ages, whatever, you know, figure out whatever your plan is, whatever your race pace is. Um, focus on it, know it, and then try to, you know, try to go towards it as you finish a run, as you finish a race. And especially your longer runs, you know, I, I really try to focus on my longer runs where my last mile or two, you know, are a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. It helps yeah. a lot. It makes a ton of sense. And I mean, hey, like you always told me and what your little catchphrase was in college, it's really easy. You just run fast, don't suck. <laughs> run fast, don't suck. That, I can't, that was a phrase that was actually a phrase that I took from high school. Uh, good old Springford track team. That was our, uh, that was our catchphrase run fast. Don't suck. And someone asked, they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, honestly, run fast is whatever. And with the whole team said it, it was like, whatever your pace is, you run it and you just try not to like totally fall apart. You're just trying not <laughs> to bonk basically. Yeah. And if you don't do that, and if you don't do that, like it's all good. good. So Amen. yeah. Like, and the thing is, though, like, we went against, like, some of the guys in my conference, like, ended up going D1 and going to nationals for college. Like, I'm talking some all-American college-level talent. There was a guy in my conference uh, that went to the Melrose Mile, the one in the Madison Square Garden. So, like, <laughs> we weren't, we weren't going to win certain races. We just weren't. Um, <laughs> like, it, it, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, so we sort of, you know, had other ways to – have fun with it. We were still really good, really talented, but yeah, run fast, don't suck. Applies <laughs> to anyone. Easy enough. Well, listen, Kevin, I really appreciate the time. I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot from this, hopefully get a lot of value, stuff that they can start applying to their training pretty much right away. I mean, like I said, if we took the last, whatever this has been, hour or so and, and broke it down, practice cadence, see what happens, 160 to 180 on the run, 90 to 100 on the bike, a lot of the other stuff is just going to kind of fall into place and you can really start to focus on where to push, when to push. But if you can make those two things, your constant things form, form, form and breathing, form and breathing, 
are the two biggest things I constantly tell people. If you get those two little things right, you know, if you get, if you just practice those two things, everything else is going to help fall in line, you know, with your training, whether it's whether you're training for an Ironman and, and, or other distances or you're building towards it, you focus on form and your breathing, taking good deep breaths, you're going to be, you're going to have a much better day. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well, listen, Kevin, thank you. I really appreciate the time. I, I hope a lot of people get a lot of value out of this. And just for the record, uh, you are terrible at basketball. So for anyone who thinks about <laughs> you're an NBA player, for the last minutes, I'm really sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm not good at basketball. No. Same age, though. <laughs> Same age, much better. Same runner. age, much better runner. Yeah. All right, Kevin. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. And uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Love it. Have fun. Yep. And there you have it. Thank you very, very much for listening. Really appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it. We've got more on the way. So thank you again for listening today. And until next time. Mm-hmm.